0: Follow with me through a progression this morning. The world needs Jesus. The world needs Jesus. This world, its only hope is a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you that's the truth. You can look and you can search. The only hope, the only hope of this world is a saving faith in Jesus Christ. The world needs Jesus. Now stay with me. So therefore... The world needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to be sure and make that connection today. We receive Jesus by hearing and then receiving the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ, the the good news of Jesus Christ. The world needs Jesus, so the world needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how we receive Jesus. That's how we find Jesus, in the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is God's plan. Get this today. Be sure and establish this today. If the world is to find Jesus, the only way is by the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If the world is to find Jesus, the only way, that is the reality, is in the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world needs Jesus, therefore the world needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now stay with me once again. Therefore, the world needs the church. The world needs the church. Now follow that, move with me through that. The world needs Jesus. So the world needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the world needs the gospel proclaiming church of Jesus Christ. The world needs the church. We need to be very sure of this this morning. If the world is to find Jesus, if the world is to hear the gospel, it's going to be from the church. The world needs the church. Now you might ask, well, why did I take you through that progression, why did I take you through that? It is so that we would see this morning that we would be certain of the value of the church. We need to be very clear in the value of the church, the importance of the church, the need of the church, the urgency of the church. The world needs Jesus and so I want you to hear me today. We've got very important things to do in the church. Do you see the value of the church? Do you then understand the value of the church? I don't know that we haven't lost that today. People say, well, they'll commit to the church and they'll get in and out of the church or the church is a good thing or maybe they have something for me to glean out of the church. Do you see the importance of the church? The church is a big deal. The church is an important entity. The church is the means by which they will find Jesus Christ. There is a world that is lost and that is dying, that is hurting and they need the church. Do you see the importance of the church? Well, I'm mad at the church. Get over it. The world needs a church. Well, this church doesn't have what I like. Get over it. The world needs a church. Well, I haven't found the one that fits me perfectly. You keep looking, you pray, but listen, you get in that church because the world needs a church. The world needs Jesus. Today, we're gonna continue our study of the early church, moving through the book of Acts. That's what we're doing. And as we do, God is instructing us in our church today. And I want you to see that. I want that to be pertinent. I want that to to ring in your ears. These aren't just verses that we say, well, that was nice, that was a good thing. Listen, he is instructing us in the church today. Today, our verses are found in Acts chapter 5, Verses 17 through 32, a pretty good chunk of verses. Acts chapter five, verses 17 through 32. Our message today is entitled, The Church the World Needs. The Church the World Needs. Acts chapter five, verses 17 through 32. I'm gonna ask if you'll stand in the reverence and the honor of the reading of God's word. But the high priest rose up along with all of his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison and taking them out, he said, go, stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach, Now, when the high priest and his associates came, they called the council together and even all the senate of the sons of Israel and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. But the officers who who came did not find them in the prison and they returned and reported back saying, we found the prison house locked quite securely and the guards standing at the doors. But when we had opened up, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them as to what would come of this. But someone came and reported to them, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. When they had brought them, they stood before the council The high priest questioned them saying, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come, and I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the great I am. I'm thankful for Jesus, that he is my way, that he is my truth, that he is my salvation by faith, in Him, I'm thankful for the church, Lord. I pray that as we go through this study, that we would see maybe anew the, the importance of the church, the need for the church. Lord, I'm thankful for Your Word that You lead us through it. I pray that we would be directed by the living Word of God that's active and speaks today. Lord, speak to us, and I pray that there will be hearts changed today, minds led today. I pray the, the greatest result for Your greatest glory is that someone would find Christ in the preaching of Your Word today. Lord, we trust all that to you. We ask that you move. We ask that you work. We submit this to you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We're going to go today very quickly to our verses, and we're going to move through them. And then at the end, toward the end of our verses, I'm going to show you three pieces of the church, or three things About the church. And so the main points are going to come at the end of our verses. All right, going very quickly to the verses. Understand here at the start the context. Understand where we are at. God is working in the church. Great things are happening in and through the church. The gospel is going out. We read the account, the good news, the message, the truth of Christ is going out. People are being saved. In fact, the Bible says sometimes it might be in a small number, but sometimes it is in a great number. And many, many people are being saved. Lives are being changed. That's what happens when folks get saved. And it is a marvelous thing. Great things are happening in the church. Jesus is known to the church, Jesus is being glorified through the church. That is the context. And then we come to verse 17 and it starts off and says, but, I I wanna stop here for just a second. God is moving in the church. People are, are being saved in the church. It's an awesome, marvelous thing to behold what's going on in the church, but, let me read you the rest of the verse. But the high priest rose up along with all his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. I I want to make something very clear here. In the example of the early church and to be expected in the modern church, if a church is doing what it should, if the church is preaching the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if a church is committed to the truth of God's word, If God is working in that church, you should expect trouble. You should expect trouble. That's the teaching of scripture. That's the reality of scripture. Sometimes you think, well, that's where it's gonna be fine. That's where it's gonna be all dandy. Listen, if God is working in the church and you're committed to the truth of God's word and you're preaching the gospel, you can expect trouble. Trouble, be sure, if the world hates the truth and if the world hates the gospel and if the world hates Jesus and don't be fooled because they do, it does. How is it not going to hate his church? We can expect trouble in the church second Timothy three two says, "All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted." Understand that's multiplied in the church as we gather as believers. There's going to be persecution against the church. There's going to be trouble in the church. Now let me let me say it like this, and I, I think in our time when we can, uh, we can have a PR team, a public relations team, and they can spin anything anyway. And you can go on the internet and see. How, how churches are upheld and heralded and, and you can see all these things. I, I think we need to say this. If the world loves your church, if the world acclaims your church and if there is no pushback from the world against your church, maybe you're really not in the church. And when the world brags on that church and the world's accepting of that church and the world says, you know what, we have have such high respect and if the world has no pushback against the church, maybe it's because we've become so much like the world, they can't tell we are a church. Here the high priest, and I don't know if it was Annas or Caiaphas, the high priest and all the associates, most likely it was both of them, all the associates, it says they were filled with jealousy. Jealousy. Jealousy, if you look it up in the original language, means envy, but it also has this this weird understanding, rivalry. They they were competing. They are are rivals and they're jealous and they're filled with envy and so the Bible says they rise up, they step up, verse 18. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. Earlier it was Peter and John, now it's all 12 of them, and understand that, it's now all 12 of the apostles. They lay hands on them, they they take them forcefully, They, they snatch them, they grab them up, and they take them there to the public jail. Verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison, and taking them out, he said, verse, verse 19, an angel of the Lord. Now, I think it's kind of funny here, maybe, maybe pretty ironic. The Sadducees didn't believe in angels. But an angel from the Lord, he, he comes and he opens the gates and he, and he leads them out. He takes them out, verse 20. Taking them out, he said, go, stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison and taking them out, he said, go stand and speak to the people in the temple, the whole message of this life. The angel says here in verse 20, go and stand and speak to the people, the whole message of this life. Go and stand, be public, speak to the people, the whole message of this life. I I need to tell you this morning, I believe this is a big deal. I believe that this is the pattern that we hold to in the church. Now listen very carefully. In the church, we uphold, we proclaim, we defend, we teach and we preach the whole message of this life. And I think that was important. I think that's the pattern for us in the church. In the church, we uphold the whole message of this life. You say, well, well what is that? Can we know what that is? Listen, it is the whole message of Jesus Christ. Well, what is that? That is the full counsel of God's word. That is the fullness of the word of God. Listen, we uphold and we teach the fullness, the full counsel of the word of God. That is the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We teach and we preach and we guard and we uphold the full counsel of God's word all the way from Genesis all the way to the last verse in the book of Revelation. Understand, as the church we do not pick and choose some parts. I see that, you, you see people and they're, they're, they're moving along and they like this part and that part, they don't wanna talk about that part and they're gonna flat ignore this part and they come along and they decide they're gonna leave some of this out You know what, you can't grow a church if you preach these things. You can't draw a crowd if you preach these things. And so we're gonna leave these things out or these are hard to understand. So we're gonna leave some of these things out or we're gonna add some things in. You know what, I I think there's a new thing and a new word and a new understanding. And so we're gonna add things to it. They highlight some truths and they ignore other truths. No, listen, in the church We are committed to the entirety of the word of God. Man, I can't say that. I can't say that in a big enough way. We are committed in the church to the entirety of the word of God. And somebody might say, what does that mean? We have to talk about creation as Genesis reports it, six days? Isn't that a small thing? Can't we set that aside and go to to the teaching of Jesus? Do we have to talk about creation as it is in Genesis? Well, we do if we're gonna talk about a powerful God who recreates all things in the book of Revelation. You see how that adds up? Does that mean we have to talk about sin? Does that mean we have to define sin as God would define it? Can't we define it as Oprah Winfrey would define it? The world's not gonna like that. Do we have to say God says that's a sin? Do we have to say the wages of sin is death? My lands, that's hard. The world's not gonna go for that. Do we have to say our Savior will judge sin? God hates sin and will judge sin? Well, we do if we're gonna talk about the Savior for sin, Jesus. If we're gonna understand the the great salvation that we have in Jesus, we're gonna have to talk about it. Does that mean we have to say there's only one way to be saved? Man, that's not not politically correct today. Does that mean we have to actually say that? You can believe it in your little group, but do you have to say it is an exclusive gospel and not all all ways lead to heaven? In fact, there's not even another way. Do we have to actually say if you believe the truth of Mormonism, you'll go to hell? If you're following the truth, the lie of, of Islam, you'll go to hell? Do we have to actually say that? Well, we're gonna have to if we're gonna say there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. We're gonna have to if we're not gonna count Jesus as a liar when he says I am the truth and the way and nobody will come to the Father but through me. We're gonna have to. Does that mean we're gonna have to talk about hell? Surely we can have a church and not talk about hell. Surely that's not important to the gospel. A literal hell, a place of great torment where God sends people. Are we gonna have to tell people that God will send people to hell? Well, we're gonna have to if we're gonna talk about the glory of heaven and the Savior that got us there. If we're gonna be able to sing songs, there's no more light and praises to the great I am. We're gonna have to talk about the reality of the judgment of sin, the truth of hell and a holy just God that will send sinners there. I wanna tell you in the church, we are committed to the whole message of this life and if you're somewhere, they're not teaching that, you better find you a new church. We are committed to the whole counsel of God's word. The angel says, go and speak the whole message. Well, Mr. Angel, that'll get me killed. Can I I talk about the good things he has for guards and temple guards? Can I talk about a better way for life for a Roman cohort? Can I talk about that? The angel says, no, you go and you speak the whole message of this life. Verse 21. Upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. First part of the verse. Daybreak, the temple's unlocked. The early worshipers are coming in. Probably those who've got something to do or going to work. Their schedule puts them there early in the morning. The early worshipers come. And these folks actually go. They actually go and began to teach. Let me tell you, verse 21 tells me something about the church. Verse 21 tells me something about these apostles. They were totally committed to the cause of Jesus Christ. That's that's what I see in verse 21. Do you see if you're trying to stay alive? This is terrible advice. Do Do you see if you're trying to stay out of jail? This is terrible advice. We just came from jail. This is terrible advice and yet they go and they're not concerned any longer about their comfort. They're not concerned any longer about their reputation. Their businesses are falling apart. These are a bunch of guys that have been in jail. They're not concerned anymore about their safety. They're not even concerned with saving their own lives and with reckless abandonment and radical commitment, they go and they teach the truth of Jesus. Friends, what are we scared of? What, what are we scared of? And I, I, I look at this and the world's got us so buffalo. And you know what, I, I I don't think for the quick future we're gonna be thrown in jail. We're, we're so scared that somebody'd think you're a kook, honestly. That somebody'd think you're a radical, honestly. We're so scared that we'd be considered weird. They're weird, they're weird. That, oh, they're judgmental, they think I'm lost. They're they're some Bible thumper, they're, they're offensive. We're so worried that a lost world, a messed up world would think we're kooks and we're offensive. We're scared of being offensive. I was thinking about this. 30 years ago, I was an offensive tackle and 30 years later, I'm an offensive preacher. They held nothing back. That's what I like. They held nothing back. Don't do this, they do that. They operate with reckless abandon. They are totally committed to the cause of Jesus Christ and they held nothing back. Oh, for a church of people that hold nothing back. They're radically committed to the cause of Jesus Christ. All right, the rest of verse 21 Now, when the high priests and associates came, they called the council together, and even all the senate of the sons of Israel. Something big's happening. Now, don't miss that. And sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. Now, the rest of verse 21, they start to get some of the senate of the sons of Israel. These weren't some of the folks. Some of them may have been, but they weren't probably on the Sanhedrin. Some of them may have been. They're getting ready to do something big. And notice here, the first thing they do when the sun goes up is, is they go to the jail and bring these folks to us. Their first order of business was this. Now, we're going to see next week, I think it's in verse 33, that their intent to kill them. That's their intent. This is a mirror episode of what happens to Christ. Assemble the Sanhedrin, get all of the people, because we're going to put these guys to death. There's a big thing, the first order. Order of business is to have them brought. That's what we see, verse 22. But the officers who came did not find them in the prison and they returned and reported back, verse 23, saying, We found the prison house locked quite securely and the guards standing at the doors, but when we had opened up, we found no one inside. Now, verse 23 says, it wasn't because the guards were asleep. It wasn't because the guards had had drifted off to go check on something. It wasn't because they found a window pried open somewhere in the back. It says the place was quite secure. The place was locked. The guards were in place and a marvelous miracle had taken place. An undeniable miracle had taken place. We went to the place, it was locked, it was shut, it was secure, the guards were there, nobody was inside, an undeniable miracle has taken place. Verse 24, now when the captain of the temple guard, and understand the captain of the temple guard is the second in command. There's the high priest and then there's this guy that takes care of all the, the carrying out of the things. He's the second in command. Now when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them as to what would come of this. The words in verse 24, greatly perplexed, if you go look at their original understanding, their original interpretation, it's a continual tense. And so the best I could come up with was they were continually confused. When, when dealt this hand, when explained what had gone on, they were continually confused. The, the captain of the temple guard, the, the second in command, when he hears this, it says he starts to think about what would happen. Everybody else does too. Oh, great. What's going to happen? Did, did they run off? How'd they get out? First, they start saying Jesus is alive, and now these folks in a public prison, not a private prison, a, a public prison, they are gone. Where did they go? And their heads are swirling and they're wondering what's, what's gonna become of this? First we have this to deal with, now we've got this other thing to deal with. And they are continually confused and in the midst of being continually confused, verse 25. But someone came and reported to them, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Good grief, what's wrong with these people? Their heads are swirling. They don't know where they went. And some guy shows up and says, they're in the temple. They're in the temple. They're preaching. They're teaching. Verse 26. Then the captain, pretty big deal for him to go along. He's had enough of this mess. Then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. Now, I read verse 26, and I wonder what this looked like, where the first time they, they crash in and they grab the 12, and they lay hands on the 12, and they take the 12 to jail, to the public jail. Now they come, and, and do they say, uh, would you all mind coming with us? Would, would y'all, we'd like to talk to you for a second. I wonder if they said, no, we're staying here. But they say, they take them without violence. I wonder what that looks like. Verse 27. When they brought them, they stood before the council. The high priest questioned them. The council would always sit down and the accused would stand. And so this large body, this large group, and I'm sure they're all there to hear the day's events, they sit down and the accused are standing and the high priest begins to question. Verse 28, saying, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's Blood upon us. They, they say we gave you strict instructions. Now listen to the gravity of that. These are the people that killed Jesus. These are actually literally the people, the same people that killed Jesus. And so they're talking with the threat of death, with the reality of death right behind them. We gave you strict orders. We told you not to continue Teaching in this name, and the threat of death is behind them. We gave you orders not to do this. I think it's interesting. They wouldn't even say the name of Jesus. Notice that in this account. They wouldn't even say the name of Jesus. I think that's pretty interesting. This this name that we told you not to teach in, they wouldn't say the name of Jesus. So they've told them there's no more teaching of Jesus. There's no more talk of Jesus. And then yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Folks, I I love this part. And this may be one of my favorite parts of the whole thing. Remember back when they had prayed for boldness? Lord, hear their threats and grant boldness to us. Well, now even their haters say, the city is filled with this teaching now what that means is you couldn't go anywhere and not hear the truth of jesus christ everywhere you went these guys would try to go over here and they'd hear about jesus they'd try to go to the market and they'd hear about jesus they'd go to the city gate where all the guys were and they'd hear about jesus and and even their haters say the entire city we can't go anywhere and not hear about jesus Church, what if it could be said of our city? What if it could be said of Wheelbarger County that it was full of the truth of Jesus and His name is everywhere and everywhere you went, we didn't talk about bad news. We didn't talk about, did you hear this happened out at the state hospital? Did you hear this happened over at the high school? We didn't talk about, did you hear about that person? Did you hear about that lady? We didn't talk about those things. But anywhere you went in our city, anywhere you went in our county, they were talking about the truth of a risen Savior, Jesus. With our kids, with our adults, they were talking about Jesus in the schools at your workplace, they're talking about Jesus. Listen, that is the mission of Calvary Baptist Church that the name of Jesus would be everywhere in our city. We told you not to do it, and we can't go anywhere. All we hear is the truth of Jesus. Then they go on and say something kind of odd. <laughs> they, don't, they don't know these guys. And you intend to bring this man's, they won't say his name, Jesus' blood upon us. Here's what he says. You're trying to make us guilty for his death. You're going around town talking about the crucifixion of Jesus and you're trying to blame us for his death. You're trying to make us guilty. That's the whole jealousy deal. Look what you're putting on us. Remember before Pilate, I I think it's it's interesting how quickly things change here. Remember before Pilate, and Pilate comes out and says, "I don't find any guilt in him." Pilate comes out and says, "I don't find anything worthy of death in him." Do you remember what they said? His blood's on us, count it to us, put it on us, put it on our families, put it on our sons and daughters that come after, his blood will be on us. But now before the people, they're, so, they're not so bold. When they were before Pilate, they said, put it on us, count it against us. But now that the people are there, oh, don't put it on us. And now the three things that I told you about, we're gonna look at in the last of this section of verses. First thing is this, we see the mantra of the church, the mantra of the church. Verse 29, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. To obey here, if you look it up, it means to follow It means to submit. It means to conform to. And so they say we must follow God rather than men. We we must submit to God rather than to men. We must conform to God rather than to men. We must obey God rather than men. I've said several times in our study, that I believe in looking at the early days of the church that God is instructing us in these, the last days of the church. Now, you've heard me say that several times. I believe as we're looking at these things, God is instructing us, looking at the early days of the church for us as we exist in the last days of the church. Listen very carefully. For us to stand in these days, I believe this will have to become our statement. For us to exist as the church, as Jesus prepares and then comes, I believe nothing may be as important. And I want you to hear as public opinion is set now against us, as the court system is turning against us, as as politicians and their political correctness is against us, As popular thought, I'll tell you, listen, popular thought is against us. As the logic of the world, it is now set against us. It calls what we do superstition and foolishness. More than that, they call it hate-filled. As the world's logic is set against us, and as that ratchets up, and as that ratchets up, I want you to hear me today. The church of Jesus Christ is going to have to declare we must follow God rather than men. What if we're hated? What if they take away our tax status? What if they start to jail some of us? What if they shut down some of our businesses? Listen, in these days, we're gonna have to follow their lead and say, you know what, so be it, we must follow God rather than men. The mantra of the church. Second thing we see, the message of the church, the message of the church. Verses 30 and 31 together. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus. Wow, listen to this. Whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Now, I wanna look very carefully at these two verses. The first thing is I want you to look at that word prince In verse 31, he is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior. Prince, in the Greek here, is not the son of a king. Now I hear that and I think, well, he's a prince. He is a prince and he's king himself. It's not not the son of a king. In the original language, it means, listen to this, the one that gives. More than that, the one that something originates with. Now that, that is a big meaning right here. Jesus in the context is the prince of life. He is the giver of life. More than that, he is the originator of life. He's the prince of life. We go back to his other titles. He is the prince of peace. That means he is the giver of peace. You're not going to have peace outside of Christ, but it also means he is the originator of peace. Peace comes from him. And so see this. They tell them, do not preach, do not teach anymore. Out there in this name. Do not teach anymore out there in this name. Their response is to teach right there in his name. They don't wait till they get outside. That's their response. Now I want you to see the message as we break these verses down. They teach the death of Jesus on the cross, whom you put to death hanging him on a cross. They teach the death of Jesus on the cross. They teach the resurrection of Jesus. From the grave. It says, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus. They teach the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. They teach that He is the one that is the giver of life, that He is the giver of peace. He's the Prince. They teach He is the Savior, understood to be the Messiah, the deliverance from God. They teach that through Him is the forgiveness. Of sins. And so, right here in verses 30 and 31, they have just preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want us to be sure today, friends, the message has not changed today, not one bit. We teach the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. That is the message of the church. That is our message today. He is our savior. He is the one that gives life. Salvation alone is in him and we teach the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we do it ad nauseum. We keep on doing it. We do it when we're kids. We sing it in our songs. We do it when we're adults. We do it in our sermons. the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. My lands, can't we move to something else? Isn't there something more enticing? We teach the death and the burial of resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm not sure how many places you hear that consistently. We hear messages about doing good. We hear messages about God's got good things for you. We hear messages that are so self-focused we ought to blush if we hear them. We hear messages about how to make it through life. Listen, the message of the church is the sacrificial death of Jesus, his burial dead in the grave, his resurrection as the victor, the defeater of sin, and the forgiveness of sin we have in him. I got a, a dear friend that's been a preacher for over 60 years. Can you imagine that? And a couple of years back, he was in a meeting with some guys and there were some seminary professors there. There was a guy that was a college professor of the School of Religion and he actually said, I've been listening to all your sermons. and He meant to insult him and he said, And you've really only got one sermon, the one about the gospel. And my friend said he couldn't wait to get out of a seat and go around the table and say, thank you for the compliment. If I preach from Genesis to Revelation, I've only got one sermon, the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Savior Jesus, because through him we have the forgiveness of sins. That is the message of the church. And then the last thing we see, we've seen the mantra of the church, we we must follow God and not men. We see the message of the church, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. And last, we see the mandate of the church, verse 32, and we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. In verses 30 and 31, they lay out the gospel, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. And then in verse 32, they say, and we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit. Now, when I read that, I think i take a wrong turn for just a second. We are witnesses of these things. Okay, I understand that, and so is the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Well, watch this. Witnesses in the Greek means one who has seen. Now, that makes sense. I am a witness to a crime. It means one who has seen. And so they say, we have seen these things. We are witnesses to these things. But look, it's more than that. In fact, it's much more than that. Watch this. In the original language, it is also one who, having seen, testifies to. Now listen, that's a big distinction. We're married before a witness. We like our folks to watch, but that's not what that's about. It's that someone could testify to the fact of the marriage. And so listen, now in verse 32, we can change the word, and we are... Testifiers of these things. Having seen these things, we are testifiers of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit testifies to the truth of Jesus. Now, this makes perfect sense. I think about it in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, And you shall be my witnesses, and you shall be my testifiers to Jerusalem, to Judea, to the remotest parts of the earth, Samaria. And now before the court, they say, you know what? We're not concerned with public opinion. We're no longer concerned about our reputation. We're not concerned even for our safety, for what we've seen and what we know we testify to. Jesus came, he lived a life of no sin. He died on the cross as the payment for sin. He is the lamb of God, the perfect lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He died on the cross. He is risen from the dead. In him there is life eternal in him is the forgiveness of sin and what we have seen we cannot stop saying we are testifiers of these things friends the question of the day is this are we are you the world needs Jesus Jesus The world is perishing outside of Jesus. The world is hurting and lost. The world needs Jesus. If we have any compassion at all, the world needs Jesus. When I said that to start off, everybody said amen. Let me tell you what the world needs. The world needs testifiers to Jesus. That's the answer. That's the deal. The world needs Jesus. I'm gonna tell you what the world needs right now. The world needs testifiers to Jesus. The world needs your witness. The world needs my witness. The world needs a church to say, what? No, we're gonna testify all the things that we know about Jesus. We're gonna testify that Jesus will be known, that God will be glorified. The world needs a church that will testify to Jesus. 2020, we are the church that the world needs. World needs Jesus. World's gonna receive Jesus by hearing the gospel. Let us be the church that testifies what we've seen, what we heard, what we know about Jesus. Let's pray. During Father, we come, and I'm thankful for the truth of your gospel I'm thankful that there's the forgiveness of sin, not of any work that we would do, but in faith in you. I'm thankful that what we need, we have already settled in Jesus. And Lord, I ask that you'd forgive us as a church where we've neglected to be the testifiers of Jesus. Lord, I pray as we move into a new year, you'd propel us in that. I know you've prepared us for that, now propel us in that. Use us for that. And I, I pray if it's a sixth grader at school, I pray if it's of a high schooler as he's around his friends. I pray if it's a, a co-worker in a lunchroom. I pray if it's, a, if it's a mother to their kid. If it's a brother. If it's a neighbor, that we would be testifiers to Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'd propel that in us, that you'd stir that up in us. I pray that we'd be faithful in that. I pray that you'd be glorified in that. I pray the result would be that they could say, everywhere we go, the, the word of Jesus is already there. Help us be those people, and Lord. I pray that for someone here that doesn't know Jesus, I pray that today would be the day that they would find you. They would hear the gospel and they would trust in you and be settled today. Lord, I give all this to you. I'm thankful for your guidance. I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for your plan. Most of all, I'm thankful for my Savior, my hope, Jesus. And I pray all this in His name. Amen.